This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We haven't done one of those sort of true crime roundup things in a while where we do an episode and kind of talk about three or four different cases. We're going to have a couple of those uh, now that we're going to do. And this is the first one. The main reason is just kind of to catch up on on news. I noticed that everybody went crazy with the Long Island serial killer news. So that's going to be a while before I can um, sift through that enough to make any kind of a story. There was one interesting tidbit in there. Did you see that his brother had a homicide arrest? Is that his brother? Yeah, that's his brother. Um, that's the the Craig, uh, the record that I sent you from New York. Yeah, I saw it. I I guess I just didn't realize that was his uh, brother. And so he was charged with uh, criminally negligent homicide. Yeah, it looks like it's out of um, New York. And if I if I'm reading everything uh, appropriately, it's in the eighties, but. I was setting up the episodes here and like there's so much stuff lying around about this. I actually had to unfollow some places for a minute. And I was like, I'll come back and catch up on like all the riffraff get sorted out because now everybody's talking about Long Island serial killer because he kind of has the name and a face. And when that happens, um, people go a little crazy for a while. And I don't know, like, you know, I did the first episode the first day after we got a heads up that that was all going down. It's interesting because and I've talked about this a little bit on here before. I get a lot of people who message me true crime information, like the Zodiac comes up. One of the cases that I'm pretty active about, like personally, um, and I do some social media related to this case is uh, the Eastbound Strangler. I had a couple of people that I had been talking to for a very long time about Eastbound Strangler's case. And um, one of the questions that's always come up on web sleuth, social media, Reddit, were those two cases related, the Long Island serial killer? Uh, in, in this instance, the Gilgo Beach Strangler is what I think they called him, or the Ripper is what they called him at the time. And are were those related to the Eastbound Strangler? And I don't think they're going to be. I don't know if there's something um, going on there. I I'll say this from the bail application episode that we did, because that's really what we were talking about. That's the information that was for sure in front of us. It felt to me like they were being real narrow in how they talked about victims related to any of this. Um, So when I was able to look at that, I can, um, I can go, well, I think right now the authorities are simply leaving out uh, anyone that they're not, pretty sure is this guy. And I mean, they weren't speculating at all, except for Maureen, who I felt like they already have a pretty good case. I agree with that. I feel like they had enough for that. And, you know, we have no idea why the grand jury didn't indict him, or perhaps they didn't present her to the grand jury. We don't know. We had one, uh, this is your source, uh, uh, that's about the brother. Now, this is the New York Post thing, and it came out of all of this. I just find it fascinating when, like, family stuff gets talked about. This is a 
true crime though. And I felt like leave the kids alone, leave the wife alone. I couldn't really pass this up. I don't feel like it warrants being left alone. It's actually a thing, but it is a very different thing. Yeah. So uh, Lee Brown, uh, Selim Alger, and Joshua Rett Miller over at the New York Post put together an article that popped on July 14th. Um, it's a pretty it's a pretty brief uh, description of what's going down, but I, I did find it interesting. It, this is about Rex Human's brother and what happened to him a very long time ago. Uh, the the title of the article is Rex Human's brother Craig killed police captain in 1988 crash while coked up. Uh, the younger brother of suspected Gilgo Beach serial killer Rex Human killed a New York police captain in a drunken crash in which he was also coked up. Craig Human, who's 57 now, was 22 in 1988 when he crashed through the central median of the Southern State Parkway close to the Massapequa Park home where his brother still lives. He slammed head-on into a car driven by City Housing Authority Police Captain Winyan Buskey, who was 51. Uh, he was pronounced dead at the scene, according to a Newsday report at the time. So Buskey uh, died. Herman was hospitalized. He had cuts on his face, and then he was released into police custody. He later pleaded guilty to criminally negligent homicide and driving while intoxicated according to a ruling in a lawsuit that was filed by um, his, the, the victim's family, uh, Winyan's family. Craig Sherman was going about 61 miles an hour during the 9.25 a.m. smash-up and was already in an intoxicated and coked-up condition at the time. Uh, this is from Judge Frank Rossetti, who noted the police findings in the lawsuit case. The findings were used to dismiss a lawsuit that sought to blame the city and city officials for the conditions of the road that locals have dubbed Blood Alley. So the family of the victim was suing based on the conditions of the road. So we get a little tidbit of what's going on in the criminal side of this from this lawsuit that's been filed and that these guys at the Post have dug up. Uh, the argument that the state should have reasonably foreseen such a driver is simply without merit. Uh, that's Rossetti's ruling in 1993. The cause of the accident was a negligent driving by an intoxicated driver. He's talking about Craig Huerman. Uh, the evidence showed that Mr. Huerman had a blood alcohol level of 0 0.20, which is twice the legal limit at the, at the time, and a blood cocaine level of 0 0.05 milligrams. And the judge concluded, obviously, this was a man who should not have been driving. So uh, Buskey was headed to a, um, an event at a local bowling alley in Howard Beach there in Queens uh, with, his, with the people that he worked with. So after pleading guilty, Craig, he was 22, and he gets a three-year prison sentence for criminally negligent homicide. But he gets, so he gets paroled um, in August of 1990, and then... He basically, he was out in time to be listed in a wedding announcement for Rex, but this is at his first marriage, um, and which it has been confirmed this guy's been married twice. So the Human Brothers grew up on First Avenue in the house that was in the background of all the live shots. And Human bought that house from their mother in 1994. Craig Human, he lives down, so Rex lives up there, He's the focus of this investigation. 
Craig lives down in um, the South Carolina. He lives down in South Carolina. And apparently there's also some, I think I would call it retirement property that Rex owns nearby, but he's been sort of off the radar with all of this stuff so far. I haven't seen a lot of comments or quotes from him. Have you? I haven't seen much of anything. Well, so that's going on. Um, and obviously everybody. I just wanted to share that because it was, it's a completely different situation, right? Well, you know, you shouldn't get coked up and go drive and run into somebody. Uh, it's definitely not, you know, first degree murder, right? Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's not, it is. And it's definitely not that, I don't know. It's like some of those situations are more culpable than, than just manslaughter, but yeah, that's a, that's an old ruling with criminally negligent homicide. It's still it sounds not. Almost, it sounds almost like he lost control because of water issues on the road. Which, I mean, if you're intoxicated, then I'm sure that gets exacerbated. But the bottom line is, it's not the same thing as the Gilgo Beach murders at all. Oh, not even close. And, um... To draw that sort of uh, parallel by putting it out there, I mean, it is a thing. It happened. He, you know, he pled guilty and served his time, and now um, it's going to be a, a point being made um, for a little while, yeah. right? But just to clear it up, though, I do feel like the details are, are relevant. It's not like this is a family of serial killers. Right? Yeah, that's why I mentioned it that way. I. You know, Suffolk County having, they put a lot of effort into this. So I, you know, I'm just crossing my fingers that this is going to go the way that it needs to go. Do you see any way that it wouldn't? No, not right now. Uh, The biggest thing I've noticed is people are really confused, um, I think, Uh, like based on that, like, how many bodies were found in that area and why he's only being charged with, you know, the three and possibly one more. Have you noticed that? Yeah. I've noticed that's probably the second biggest thing. The first thing I've noticed is that in the paperwork coming out, there's a lot of discrepancies that don't match the original sort of timelines on these victims, but it's only by a day or two. And I think I figured out what that was. I think, I think he was seeing and communicating with some of these women in the seventy-two hours ahead of time, uh, particularly with uh, like Amber's situation. Right. Well, yeah, and so I don't feel like any of that negates. Uh, no, it's just that's the thing that people are pointing to to say it's possible proof of some kind of errors. I don't think there's errors in this. This looks like a tight investigation. Uh, Very much so. And it also looks like somebody um, possibly took the steaming pile of poo that they were left. And, you know, they're all very respectful during the press conference um, about their predecessors. But, you know, if we want to believe that technology advanced uh, to the extent that it did, fine. But I feel like there were a lot of holes in this case that could have been patched up sooner. It doesn't bother me so much as long as as long as we don't find out he's committed a whole bunch of other murders in the meantime, right? 
um, these victims did have to wait for justice, but it looks like they're headed that way, right? Yeah. It. One of the things about this case to me is I think some of those web searches that are sort of put into the bail application by the by the response. I think the idea was they were worried he was revving up for one last spree. Like he was um, wanting to figure out how he got away with it to begin with. I think I think there'll be more potentially more murders. I think they will not be what people think they are. Right. And there's already been which this doesn't seem like it was like a really big in the media, but maybe I just missed it. There's already been a conviction for two of the girls found. Yeah. I think getting into that like would confuse people, but you're right. There have been convictions of other predators who just happen to be operating in the same areas. I am curious if any of that will turn on this, like this case. I wonder if it'll, change any of that or if everybody's okay with what happened there well uh you mean as far as it like possibly the wrong person was convicted or whatever yeah i just mean like what you know how how big a monster is this guy that we're looking at here with rex human right and i went back and i've tried i'm trying to sort of because it's come this like full circle at least with um the three possibly four gilgo beach uh victims I've gone back through like sort of my take on the case and, you know, I, I remember saying like, I don't think there's like 15 different serial killers using this as their dumping ground. Right. Right. But I actually, I can't even get a good handle on how many bodies were actually found there. It is a garbled mess. Yeah. I, I've been sharing with you some of the different things people are trying to do to sort of, I know it's to be helpful, but people are making Google Maps where they're documenting every unidentified person, every missing person that they. Can. Was that specifically for Lisk? Um, it was. I was so confused it, by it that. Was, yeah, one of them was like a possibilities list uh, for Lisk for Long Island serial killer. It's it's a very confounding situation to see all of the speculation going on, and I. You know, I think he was, I think the police were worried that this guy was revving up again and they grabbed him. And I think everything that like is going to be official about this is going to focus on those four victims, the three is indicted for and then Marine. And I think it's going to be that way for a while because that's what they have evidence to convict him on. And I hope that like more comes out of this. I'm not saying he did or didn't do things like if he's the eastbound strangler, the four bodies found there in Atlantic city and there's evidence. I think because my understanding of that case is there's DNA evidence. There would certainly be, if they kept it, there would be some technology evidence from back then. But my understanding is there's DNA evidence in that case. I don't know that the rest of what sort of gets lumped into the 10 to 22 victims that are considered to be related to the Long Island serial killer are necessarily going to have the type of evidence that these three cases seem to have. And that's where I get confused because I'm like, where are these 22 victims at? And there, there are, a, I noticed that like even Suffolk County has 
sort of juggled around the website. I get what they're doing. I'll be honest. This whole thing feels like when they launched that website and we were talking about different things to do with the Long Island serial killer, I feel like they were setting this guy up to engage them. And I mean, like even this morning, I saw someone that had an interesting idea. I was sort of, I was skimming news on him and it sent me back to a Reddit post. The Reddit post was removed by the time I got there, but they were basically talking about someone had a call-in tip recorded. I guess it was aired with some piece of like documentary footage about, you know, the hunt for the Long Island serial killer type thing. And it, they said it sounded like this guy. So I think technology-wise, they had enough on these victims, these three or four victims here, because um, I think he's all. I think he's good for all four. I know they haven't got him on that last one. I actually felt like they had him on it, but that's just me. Um, I, I think these three or four victims might be all we get for now because um, that's where all the paperwork is pointed. That's where all the evidence is pointed. And I don't know that people understand um, from that really long episode we did about him. I don't know if people understand how much effort went into this to do what you said, which is sort of pick up the pile of evidence and go backwards. That is incredibly difficult. It is so hard to put all that together. Right. And, uh, you know, we say all that, but... What ultimately um, changed, I think, were the investigators and their tactics. The evidence didn't actually change, right? No, I, I don't think it changed as much as, like, it was viewed in, like you said, either with new tactics or new light. But ultimately, the way I ended up sort of breaking it down was somehow, and they're so vague about it in the press conference, but... I don't really know exactly what happened, but, you know, they did a, uh, Amber Castillo will ultimately be his downfall because of the witness to that, the witness that participated in the ruse. Right. Um, and the fact that they saw the Chevy avalanche, right. That all went together. That and the description of him was really And the description of him. And when they started, and, and I don't know what database it was, right? But I will say that there are certain things happening there when you get information, right? And you can sort of piece it all together, right? Because they were able to pinpoint, like, who all drives a Chevy Avalanche. Anyway, the, ultimately it comes down to DNA matching and that's that's where it's at, right? Yeah. The DNA matching is where, you know, it's a you can't turn back time on it because literally nothing uh it's it, you can't fake that, you can't undo it once it's done and it's what led to them being able to move. The, the investigators being able to move on making an arrest. Yeah. And I will say this, the amount of media coverage on this, I like, I was able to watch his arrest. Did you see the video of his arrest? I did. I was, I'm absolutely fascinated by that. I, I, so I called the episode that we put out the Orcas of the Island. Do you know why I did that? Cause I don't always tell people like why I title things, what I title them. 
Um, actually, I don't. I know that an orcus is a. Uh, well, I thought it was a hell demon, but I'm not actually sure he, now that you've said well, that. Well, <laughs> so the word ogre and the word orcus sometimes get sort of conflated okay. if you go back in time through literature and poetry. Well, uh, there's this whole Isle of Man story about orcus that, that people can go and read. But ultimately, the person who was like, guarding the underworld at one point he's sort of been lost with like pluto but in roman mythology orcas was an, just basically described as shrek and he enforced bad contracts and i sort of put that in there because i'm wondering like you know did this guy just see but tons of prostitutes and the ones that like he felt like had wronged him he went after them and killed them. And that's why we're only seeing the four victims on this list. I don't think that's the case, but I wanted to throw the idea out there. It's possible that there was, uh, we know we have the example, right. Of Amber. Costello. Amber's acquaintance. I I don't know who it was. You know, I don't think it was her boyfriend, but maybe a roommate or an acquaintance or, whatever, rolling him is what you said, which were, you know, they essentially stole money from him. And, you know, the guy, he looked like a washed up middle-aged dude answering Craigslist. He looked soft, yeah, except for the size. He looked soft. And they, I feel like that could have been sort of a point of contention, probably his entire life. I, I don't know. But when, you know, you've got these tiny girls who, you know, they hold the power with their Craigslist advertisements or whatever, and he's trying to partake of their services and they're taking advantage of him or not. I mean, I, I don't know what happened. We do know that Amber ended up going back um, after he was like, that wasn't a nice thing to do. Right. And then she disappears forever. And, you know, it makes you wonder like, was it something like that? Because honestly I can imagine, you know, a young 20 ish girl who is advertising Craigslist not being afraid of this guy and not taking him very seriously, not to mention not being very interested in him physically, even if he's going to pay them. Yeah. And so that could really rub somebody the wrong way. Right. Um, I don't actually know how that, how, I don't know if guys are like, you know, is it super offensive if like even the sex worker isn't interested in, you know, being with you? I, no idea. That sounds like <laughs> that sounds like if you had that kind of esteem problem and you focused on those kind of things, that would certainly you be a really trigger. Angry. Yeah, to make you angry. And so I I do think that the girls probably had no idea that how much danger they were in, and I won't be surprised if we find out like a whole lot more. I'm not saying murders, but like, I I won't be surprised if like he's been entertaining sex workers and whatever this entire time. He just, it's possible he hasn't killed any of them because I I do think it would have scared him when they were found. Yeah. It should have terrified him. I've seen lots of things, you know, I've seen where he's been so upset and talking about how police ignored leads 
possibly, you know, pretend leads that he called in. Oh, my. <laughs> and uh, that he's, like, distraught and destroyed from being arrested. And, you know, that's exactly what needs to happen to a guy who has done this. And it is possible, given just sort of the little bit of information we have about him, it's possible that, like, he didn't set out to do this, that things happened to him and he, you know, was so down on himself that he ended up killing these girls. It doesn't make it okay, right? And it still warrants him being absolutely destroyed in jail by this arrest. But, I, I you know, it's really hard to garner sympathy for somebody like that. I, I really think his defense attorney should just, have no comment as opposed to trying to in any way, shape or form, make this defendant look like a victim of anything. Yeah. I don't even know how you tried this case at this point. That's actually what I was going to bring up with you was, you know, there's actually an LISK podcast out there. Unraveled had, I think the first season or maybe the second season was about where you you can listen to a lot of the the people involved in like Shannon's case, um, which is not, linked to this but they look at it from a perspective of is it all together is it separate like you can you can hear like a lot of different interviews with family members and and you can hear a lot of perspective i don't those podcasts aren't super useful they're highly entertaining they're not like investigative materials necessarily but it is available because of that because of everybody else jumping on this bandwagon i don't know that we'll cover this a whole lot unless something crazy happens we might this will probably be one of those that sort of fades and like we comment on something relevant to the trial or the outcome, but I don't know. Uh, or if he like got charged with a bunch more murders, I might come back to it. Did you have, did you have the same feeling about him? Well, right. Uh, I, I was weighing it out cause while I was waiting in the room for like the press conference on Friday, at first, you know, there was only like a hundred people in there. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah. And I was curious, like, so I know that it has been in mainstream media. Um, I, and I, I was, I thought that that was a very low number of people, um, to be waiting on the press conference because it was just in like maybe three minutes or something like that. But I think the number did get on up. I thought that was weird. And then I was like, well, like, how much is it really in mainstream media? But, you know, if you if you put the search in, you will most certainly uh, find lots of mostly useless information. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, like, Web Sleuths and Reddit has multiple places where people talk about him. So it's not like, you could definitely get your fill of him. And honestly, I could talk about him for days, but it's not going to be very useful to an audience for me to talk about him because... I'm going to be sifting through facts and like sifting through facts and sort of like making a judgment call on like garbage or not garbage is not necessarily the most entertaining or fun activity. Um, It's something that people do to get good sources. Well, right. And uh, so, I mean, I would be happy to hit the highlights if something interesting comes up, but yeah, for the most part, um, I'm uh, staunchly, convinced now i'm not i'm not i don't live in new york i'm not going to sit on the jury doesn't matter but i if they can back up what they've said in just the you know one document we were able to get uh the response to the bail application i would be pretty convinced yeah if they're backing that up this is pretty much over at least for these 
three victims and potentially a fourth victim. But I, I wanted to sort of shift you from that Suffolk County to a different Suffolk County for a minute. I don't know if you've been following this. I know, uh, I know you've looked at some of the stuff I've sent you, but I wanted to ask you about this because this is like another weird old cold case, but it's very difficult for me to understand it right now. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to open with an article that really comes out of ABC news. And this is uh, Suffolk County, Massachusetts, which, because why not? The article that I am pulling from is from July 13th. ABC had it on their main page. Uh, Nadine Elbowab, Ashley Phillips, and Miles Cohen all contributed here. Um, this is wild to me because it, you know, there's just bits and pieces of this that are that are coming together. Is it brand new? And the crimes are from 2007 and 2008, so there's some similarities to what we're talking about here, timeline wise. This is about a guy named Matthew Nilo, N-I-L-O. Uh, and here's this article that I'm focusing on just has this to say, and then we'll talk a little more about, like, this is sort of all-encompassing. Authorities questioned serial rape suspect Matthew Nilo back in July of 2008 about a suspected sexual assault after he was arrested for marijuana possession in Boston's North End. Uh, that's according to a, a spokesperson for the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office who's talking to ABC News. Nyla was arrested July 12, 2008, around 4 in the morning, according to a copy of a police report obtained by ABC News. There's no mention in the report of a suspected sexual assault. The official from the DA's office told ABC News it was their understanding that Nyla was questioned back then about, about a sexual assault in the area. Uh, that's, that spokesperson gave no further comment about this. Nilo is a Manhattan attorney, and he is accused of a string of sexual assaults against women in Boston 15 years ago. The alleged attacks occurred between January 2007 and July 2008 in the Boston neighborhoods of Charlestown and the North End. And this is where Nilo was living at the time. That's according to Suffolk, that's according to Suffolk County District Attorney Kevin Hayden. So on Thursday, so this is like going to be July 13th, Nyla was ordered to pay an additional $50,000 bail on top of $500,000 cash bail he had already posted from a previous arraignment. He denied the latest allegations for which he was arraigned Thursday in a statement released by his attorney, Joseph Cataldo. Now, Joseph Cataldo says, I have not received any discovery on new charges, but I have concerns that Commonwealth is piling on old, unresolved matters. As for the collection of my client's DNA, we will be filing a motion to suppress the illegal seizure of his DNA, which was done without a warrant. He was formally arraigned Thursday after being indicted by a grand jury on June 27th for multiple charges, including rape, after allegedly attacking four women in 2007 and 2008. The charges included one count of rape, one count of aggravated rape, three counts of assault with intent to rape, and two counts of indecent assault and battery. Now, Nilo was uh, in court with his fiance. Uh, he'll remain free for the time being, but he's on a GPS tracker. So he can return home to New Jersey where he lives. He's working in New York. He lives in New Jersey. These crimes are from Boston. The additional bail came after he was arraigned earlier in June for attacks on four other women in Boston. So that's 
by my count, eight women. That's what it sounds like. That's, that's the way so, it reads as far as this goes. So what do you think happened with this? Well, they, you know, in this, they, they, they talk a little bit about him. He had been charged already with three counts of aggravated rape, two counts of kidnapping, a couple of counts of assault with intent to rape. Uh, there was another count of indecent assault and battery. He's pled not guilty to all those charges. He got out on bail on June 15th. His next court date set for September 14th. Trial is scheduled to begin June 25th, 2024. He was first arrested in May on all of this. So this is all kind of brand new. These are really old rapes. What do you think led to his arrest? Well, it says he was put... Led to his arrest or led to his discovery as a suspect? Because right now, I think those are two different. What do you think led to his discovery as a suspect? Well, it's genetic genealogy, according to what I've read. But they had to have wanted to. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, because they had the samples from the Yeah, calls. yeah. So they had samples. So these are all living victims. So that makes this a little complex to talk about because we want to be really respectful. Of well, how we won't name any of them. Yeah. yeah. He's first arrested in May in connection with these old rapes in Boston. It's said that he was identified using investigative genetic genealogy or forensic genetic genealogy, you know, whichever set of initials you want to go with, either IgG or FgG. After he was identified as a person of interest, law enforcement put him under surveillance. And the FBI started collecting things from him, utensils and drinking glasses, uh, particularly uh, this one particular corporate event. Um, he says he didn't do it, and Cataldo says he didn't do it, and that there'll be both a legal and factual challenge to this case. This is interesting to me because these victims are alive. It is interesting. They have some evidence that he had been arrested around that time, yeah. right? I imagine that somebody has probably made some sort of identification off of the record there, right? I'm Perhaps guessing so, yeah. Whatever. And they took the, and I imagine it's because there's such a series of them, uh, you know, eight cases. One Now, one of the victims was attacked twice, which is just horrendous. Uh, she was attacked twice, 11 days apart yeah. by the same dude. And it, now a factual challenge. Okay. Uh, the legal challenge. Uh, I've seen, so I wanted to talk about a little bit of the commentary that I've seen about this. People for one thing, as far as the court of public opinion goes, this guy's already convicted. I mean, it's not good to have attack to be accused of attacking eight women, right? Yeah, and they're raking his fiance over the coals too. Like it's interesting. Like I've never seen this much commentary about like. Uh, uh, well, and go ahead. Honestly, if you had a fiance that I mean, because he was initially arrested in May, and now we're in. July and this we're talking about things that happened uh like 15 years ago right so if I mean you wouldn't really want to be engaged to somebody that dropped you that fast right you got to kind of see how things play out now it's it's unfortunate because the, the attorney I feel like is just going through like defense 101 right which is you know there's not a crime and then if there is a crime, my client didn't commit the crime. Right? right. They're challenging the factual basis of the collection. I mean, they're challenging the legal basis of the collection of his DNA. Right. Which is going to fail because he it was a discarded sample. Right. right. 
I, what I noticed was people are saying, you know, that that is a flimsy legal argument, um, that the appropriate argument is to say, you know, it's not my DNA. We have to keep in mind the parallel roads here, right? And those roads include things like when you're a defense attorney, you have to do, you have to give your, your uh, client the best defense possible for the circumstances, right? Just because I know it's probably going to fail, it doesn't mean an attorney shouldn't challenge it because not only does it bolster the defense you're giving your client, but it also gives a court uh, that they're appearing before the opportunity to bolster their stance on it as far as the Fourth Amendment uh, requirement on DNA. And so it goes both ways. When a, a defense attorney is saying, you know, I don't want the seizure of my client's uh, discarded DNA on this glass that, you know, they seized. It was unconstitutional. Well, while it bolsters the defense, the, de- the defense attorney is giving the defendant, the court can also say, well, no, that's perfectly reasonable. Right. Yeah. And so going f- forward, uh, I see a lot of the banter that people are having and, it it makes you question things because we do this guy has to be convicted right he has only been charged i hate that he has bail at all but uh you know that was the judge's call and i'm sure they're going off of something i don't see a way out uh for this guy do you do you um if he had a twin i could i could get him okay i, that, I, could, I yeah. could work him all the way off of yeah, if he had a if he had a twin, I could I could get him out of this. So that's it. That's the only way I can think of. Unless there's some kind of craziness going on here. Well, and it's kind of the volume, right, of victims. Um, he can't claim all of it was consensual. The, okay, it, okay, I want to address that for a second because I've seen that going around. Um, and there's multiple sources on this. Law and Crime had it. Boston Globe had it. And I'm sure if you go digging. You can find it in the tabloids. This is important uh, related to this case. And first of all, do you know how they took him into custody? I don't think I do. They used a sting, like a, a note sting. They like basically, they said, uh, they sent a note saying that he and his fiance had a package to pick up that wouldn't fit into the mail boxes that they have. Um, and they needed the two of them to come out and sign for it. That's what they did to get them out of the building and then they arrested him and I'm sure they go to, you know, they do the whole thing where there's an arrest that takes place. They lock her out and they do a search of the house. So there's that, which typically means they're looking for someone violent when they do that. Just like, that's pretty, like it it can be kind of standard police work, but in this instance, it's because they believe he's violent. So what he's accused of doing, he was picking up women in his car and he was taking them to particular streets. And, like, these are kind of divided by neighborhood. The first round takes place in Charlestown, and the other ones are taking place in North End. So the first victim in August 2007, she says that she got into the car with someone she thought she knew. And he told her to shut up and that he was going to kill her and that he had a weapon. The second victim says that he had a knife and he held the knife to her, threatened her with the knife, and raped her. 
the third woman was panhandling and a man said, I'll give you some cash if you want to go over to the same street in, in Charlestown. And so he drives her over there. She runs. He grabs her, tackles her, and according to her, puts a gun in her back and then rapes her. A year later, a fourth victim said that she was on a jog and that she was basically tackled and sexually assaulted, but she was able to get away. She said that the man said he had a gun. She screamed and she like did all the self-defense things. She was like poking him in the soft spots and tried to get him in the eyes. That's the, that's the first four. Okay. My point is, those are violent sexual assaults. These are not date rapes. These are not he said, yeah. she said. This is a stranger yeah, right. picking up a stranger to assault them. Well, right. Um, I was just saying from the perspective of the DNA, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just throwing that out there because people seem to think that this is like, oh, he was in college, those girls, blah, blah, blah. That's not what's happening. Oh, no. Yeah. It, uh, they reported their, you know, they had a rape kit done. They reported the incident. And so the only way this guy can say it wasn't him based on the evidence, right, the DNA evidence, is if he ha- would have had some sort of consensual encounter with them that wasn't part of the incident that they're describing, right? Yeah. And I, I know we don't talk about victims. I just want to say there's a range of victims and types going on here that do not fit the ability to do that. Right. No, I don't have any doubt. I, I just don't see um, that. it. That's how damning DNA evidence is. Yeah. Right. Um, this guy, which I'm not really sure because 07 and 08, he probably should have known what was going on. And this guy's an attorney. He works as a, you said in Manhattan. Yeah, he's a Manhattan attorney. Okay. And so, you know, in, so he was only 20 years old back then, I think. Right. About 20-ish? 35 now, so, yeah. About 20-ish. And so, um, you know, I, I so the cloud of obliviousness that some of uh, the perpetrators from, you know, the 80s into, like, the 90s experienced as far as not realizing they were leaving their DNA or leaving anything behind that was going to take them down in 20 years or whatever. I don't see how he could have possibly been oblivious to it, but nevertheless, it seems like he's just in denial. Maybe I, I don't know. You know, it, it wouldn't really be the system if somebody like this just you know went in and said, "Yeah, I did it," and you've got all this evidence against me, so I'm just going to plead guilty, right? Right. I mean, that just you know, somebody that's done something like that. Now, what do you think if, so if all the attacks happened in 07 and 08 and let's say that he has never done anything again, uh, I feel like that's going to be a very rare situation. Like just kind of off the cuff, he sort of strikes me as someone who might be a little bit of a, you know, angry incel or something. Yeah, but he's engaged. He is now. But I'm saying back then, we don't know, you know, what was making him do this. Like this level of violence is 
I, you know, I don't know that people doing this level of violence stop. And it's interesting. So these attacks can vary in time. And I mean that from the perspective of like the duration of the attack. So we have a couple things at play here. One is what's been described are pretty quick attacks, like, like sort of hidden blitz and run attacks. You know, they take place in August. Honestly, they look like they took place on school breaks after that. There was one that was like November 22nd, 2007. And I was like, I think that's going to be Thanksgiving, August 5th, 2008, August 18th, 2007. That's going to be like right before you go to school. December 23rd, 2008 was the jogger, I believe. So that's going to be the day before Christmas Eve. These are like pretty devastating for these people. But you've got another thing at play here. Most of these type of attacks don't get reported. If he's, you know, if he's in a situation where he's doing these attacks when he has a break or a downtime, I don't know that... I don't know that he's going to necessarily stop. Is it really true that most of those attacks don't get reported? Yeah, a lot of these attacks do not get reported. Overall, most sexual assaults don't get reported at all. Well, it's a very, um, like, I would have to pull up the number. So a lot of times when they're talking about sexual assaults being reported, they're, they, it sounds like they're saying, oh, but the ones that happened between boyfriend girlfriends or whatever, like they don't get reported, but that's not true. Like I would say it's a very high percentage. And I'm sure like, if you go to like rain or one of those websites talking about reporting, it's probably higher now that they're reported. The, The bottom line is the number has always been known to be askew. Sure. And I've heard that before. Um, I guess I just felt like um, this is the exact kind that like you would report, but maybe not. Um, I don't I don't know a whole lot about uh, the statistics on that. But I would say that anybody that's doing a uh, blitz attack, a quick blitz attack on somebody who's uh, on a female that's walking alone or whatever the circumstances were like, that's someone who doesn't want to get caught. Absolutely. Well, so, okay, let me clarify two words for a second. I hate being that guy, but um, he's not charged with rape in every instance. Right. It's aggravated rape. So some of these are. Indecent assault and battery. With the intent to rape. So, okay. It's all the same to me, though. Success or completion of whatever he is trying to do would be some type of rape. Let's not call it success. We'll Um, just call it completion. Yeah, establishing what he set out to do here or what his impulse did or whatever, these assaults would end in rape, I believe. Like that's... Oh, yeah, because otherwise, why is he doing it? So the reason I say some of these assaults, to me on paper and with the evidence that they've collected... They indicate that maybe it wasn't to the while it's still traumatic. How do I like phrase this correctly? It wasn't a rape for whatever reason. There's a number, yeah, but he still had his hands on them and was trying to do something, correct? 
and that's what I'm describing as not being reported. Okay. Well, I mean, I can buy that because I, I don't know that I would report something like that, but now that I know that it could have like this huge impact on other people, right? right. That might be different, but I could see where you don't want to deal with something like that. Yeah. Like a high, a high percentage of rape and sexual assault takes place between people who know each other or related or in a relationship, whatever. But the, these, like, I say it the way that I say it because I want people to understand that, like, there's probably more than eight. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I find this guy, uh, and he's an interesting defendant. The only thing that brought everything to light was the DNA evidence, and then they were able to corroborate other situations, like when, you know, he was living near where the assaults were taking place, at least around the time, right? Uh, whether it was, you know, home from uh, college or whatever. But they're able to corroborate this evidence. That, to me, those are the most solid cases. Because it's nobody's presumption about anything. They literally, the only reason they know who this guy is, is because they trace the evidence. evidence led them to him. Yeah. And, you know, yes, it has to run the gamut of, you know, going through the system. But, you know, he's not convicted yet. And the sheer number of victims, it kind of points away from him having any sort of defense that a jury is actually going to buy. Oh, I right? think you're 100% right. Yeah. But I don't know that the arguments that are put forth about, you know, the Fourth Amendment and whether or not his discarded sample was a violation of his constitutional right to be free of unreasonable searches and seizures uh, is interesting to me. I've always said that just because, like, so nothing about taking somebody's discarded sample of DNA changes whether or not they commit the crime, right? Correct. Like nothing about that. You only really have privacy in your own home. You're, you're, you don't have any sort of uh, expectation that anything you use and discard in public couldn't possibly be used against you. Right. right. You know, that shows the level of confidence if he is in fact guilty that he was operating at. Right. Yeah. Because he wasn't concerned, uh, clearly. And in on the parallel roads that we talk about, a truly innocent person would submit DNA to prove that, you know, there's been a mistake, right? Yeah. And so it wouldn't be this argument. But it, it is, you know, it is a necessary part of this. What do you think about that particular issue? Do you think uh, discarded DNA should be fair game? Yeah. So I actually had some questions about how they did it here. But yeah, generally speaking, I feel like discarded DNA is going to end up being fair game. It's protected that way. Look, as, as much as people can say the Fourth Amendment has meaning, which is, I think that's a quote in somewhere in here. The citizens of this country would be shocked and offended if courts were to permit warrantless searches, seizures, and analysis of their DNA without the government first securing a warrant. That came out of Cataldo here. And right. his point was and he, he actually I don't I don't know how this is gonna go. Depends on how private the event was, actually. 
Um, well, if he had got, if they had consent from a variety of other factors, whomever owned the glass, whomever owned the building the event was held in. Yeah. Um, see that, you know, who has the right to privacy? Well, really the right to privacy, even though it was a private event, it sounds like it's at least a semi, uh, public venue. That's what it sounds like to me. Yes. And so, see, that doesn't really apply unless, you know, one person owns the venue. But if they had that one person's consent to seize anything in the in the place, right? The cops wouldn't have been there seizing things without somebody's permission. Right? Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. And so they had the appropriate permission. Now, you know, does that mean everybody has to go around, like, sanitizing the glasses they use out in public so they don't get... So police don't get their hands on it, you know? Or maybe don't commit the violent crimes. I was going to say, as long as you're not concerned that your DNA is going to pop up in a violent crime, like, every single crime that's committed, that's reported, that is taken seriously at this point in time, and for years and years back, like, they're going to be solved. A lot of them are, are yeah, a lot of them are. People are not going to be getting away with this, and so... I guess you can do whatever you want, but to the extent that I guess he just thought that it would just never be linked. I I can't get into the mindset of somebody like that, but I'm sure it was shocking, right? Because it has been so long. It really has been. And like there were descriptions in the different things that I looked at, there were descriptions of how this all went down that were kind of strange. Um, He was wearing gloves. He was, you know, I don't, I don't understand like a sexual assault where the person is wearing gloves because anyways, there's obviously going to be contact of another kind. The, yeah, he didn't think that all the no, way through, huh? didn't. And like, he's an interesting example of technically, and, and this all comes from a grant, by the way, that, you know what I'm saying? Like th- this was a- Yeah, they gave him money. Yes, this is a grant being done to do a backlog of these old sexual assault cases where there was DNA evidence. Like, largely, I noticed several of these victims, they did not have his DNA in a in a same kit, like a sexual assault forensic kit, did not recover mm-hmm. his DNA. Where they recovered his DNA was from articles of their clothing, like their pants and their I think uh, pants and blouse, which is something that's come up more recently. And I assume that uh, the reason, I assume that these cases had all been put together already before the genetic genealogy happened because they would have had a similar profile, right? Yeah, they would have. So these would have looked similar. Believe it or not, these types of like blitz and run violent attacks with a sexual nature and a weapon, those are kind of rare. They are rare. And there weren't that many happening and this would have stuck out. Yeah. And particularly when it's like, like I, and I totally understand that they happen, but side of the road grabs like this are weird. Changing the weapon means he probably read about himself or he was graduating. Cause, um, and I, I, I bet if they dig into him, it was not a real gun. He like, I can see it in his face that he's carrying around a BB gun with a, you know, that looks real. Or just saying he or has she, a gun. Well, I think one woman described seeing a gun. Like, there's a victim that talked about this case on one of the morning shows, and I don't know which one it was. I heard her talking um, because sometimes in my house I play that for my 
my wife getting ready in the morning, she likes to listen to, I don't know which one it is today or Good Morning America or something. So I heard it and then I went and watched it and she was describing a gun. She's very credible, talking openly on the show about it. She was like, you could see in her face that like, this has been a terrifying experience with her. I think she was one of the 2007 victims. Um, she described him having a gun, like pulling up next to her in the car. Cause a couple of these were like 20 year olds, 23 year old girls. Uh, in fact, I think a couple of them were like coming out of their um, high school reunion at two different times. He managed to get people who were at their five year high school reunion. That happened where I saw her talking about it. And then there was another victim who described him. She tried to get away from him and he, uh, he had a gun and like, I don't want to. I want to say stuck in stuck in the back or like you know like if, if you if you do that again I'm going to kill you type thing. Right. Because he was saying those type violent things to multiple victims here. Um, right. And, uh, I have a gun, and if you if you don't do what I say, I'm going to kill you. Um, right. And, and some of these victims are fighting back. So that's the other place that DNA is going to come from too. Is like when you engage someone like this, the uh, and and you're touching each other. If they take your clothes during the SANE exam, even if there was no actual penetration, it was just like one of these weirder intent. Right. Yeah. Um, and and I say that because this is like the like the worst thing to describe to people. But like sometimes people doing this type of crime have already been masturbating, and by the time they get to the nerve of like grabbing the person there's already touching with DNA fluid on their clothing and their hands and their body. The offender has it on him or it quickly happens that he gets it on the other person. So I'm not excusing it or calling it like any type of minimization thing, but it's a different type of crime that happens very, very quickly, like seconds and capturing the evidence from that is very complex. Well, right. And, you know, it's DNA isn't a lot more than just semen. Right, like it, right, right. It is. And but most of these were semen so, cases. I do want to point that out. And to the extent that the elements of the different crimes are going to have to be proven, right, uh, as far as, you know, the rapes versus the aggravated rapes versus the assault with the intent to rape and all the other things. It's possible that the elements of the crimes won't be all met. Right, right. right. And so that has to go through the system as well. But I also think, uh, so this was grant funded and, you know, they did have to do genetic genealogy to find him. And that, you know, that's taking the case to a whole new level. I feel like they are cases are prioritized when funding is received that address, you know, larger scale cases like this one uh, where there's several victims. Right. Um, and that makes it uh, like all cases would be worthwhile to do it, but they're just trying to allocate resources as best they can. Right. And so in a situation where, you know, funding didn't happen uh, if touch DNA wasn't more of a thing, cause we don't know, like, I, well, you said they were all semen, right? I think, I think these were largely semen. Um, well, let me say it this way. I believe the first four assaults were linked by some kind of semen. And then the other four assaults that like occur in the different location, that might not be the case. It could be that there's touch DNA or something else involved. 
Okay. Well, e- either way, um, the woman made a report at the time it occurred. And had right? a sexual assault exam, yes. Right. And so, you know, they have gone a long time uh, without knowing who it was. And, you know, in that period of time, you know, they are less likely to have made something up that they reported so long ago. You know, there's nothing you can do once you've gone in and you've had your, the evidence collected, right? They didn't do anything to change anything in the meantime. And so um, I think that he he would have gone unchecked, uncaught, the funding not been granted, and had he not attacked so many women. And so there are variables there that sort of, you know, they had to all come together and work out uh, in the victim's favor, right? But I think that these are, and, and I don't really want to say like my favorite cases because they're not my favorite. Like, you know, there's nothing good about them. I just really like it when some unsuspecting perpetrator gets taken down. Uh, if that ends up being the case here, that'll be great. Yeah, I don't think so. With the Long Island guy, I don't, the serial killer, I don't think he was, I think he was paranoid. That's one of the reasons he was searching and doing what he did to figure out how he got away with it. He might have been arrogant enough that he wasn't that paranoid. I think he was really surprised. I think he couldn't figure out how he gotten away with it. Yeah, he wanted to keep getting away with it if possible. That's what I suspect. Well, and I have to say, I think it was lousy investigation. Well, uh, I, yeah, I, I think there's a lot going on there. This guy, so, all right, CSI started in 2002. Like the show. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of like they even call it the CSI effect with these police procedurals all around that time. Um, They would have been showing the world a a, a multitude of different things. And I think there was a level of awareness that came with those shows where people now knew what could happen. Unfortunately, it also brought about, like, very high expectations. It did. Yeah, that's the main part of the CSI effect. Well, but I I wanted to ask you, like, two things here. What do you think of this guy's timeline in terms of doing this in 07, 08? And then, so that puts him at 20. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So he's 20 years old doing this. Um, So he's, like, a literal college student. Um, What did you think of, like... Like, that's sort of interesting to me that he's doing this. But do you think that makes it means it was uncontrollable for him? I n- no, I don't believe that uh, anything is ever uncontrollable for somebody as far as the sexual assault goes. Now, it's possible that they need to uh, reconcile what they're thought on control is right yeah. um but it uh people who say that they commit sexual assault and they're out of control like that's just a that's ridiculous because you can want to do lots of stuff that you don't do because you know uh it, you can't do it you can't uh you know anytime you're attacking a, a another person uh, there's a choice that's being made, right? I, I'm i not ever going to buy the fact that people can't control things. I feel like steps sometimes have to be taken to help control things. 
but um, everybody has to be aware of their limitations and act accordingly. So I, I do think that he had control of himself. I, I think it could have been a thrill type thing. Um, and the simple fact that, you know, he went uh, different times, different places. I mean, that's an element of control, right? Yeah. Keeping your body like just sitting at your parents' house as opposed to whatever he was doing to go chase people running or whatever. I mean, that's an element of control, right? Yeah. I think that, and it, it's so sad because at 20, you're at, for, and you know, he's a guy and at 20 years old, he should have been at the peak of like, you know, dating and like hooking up, like consensual hookups, right? And all this other stuff. So it makes it really odd to me. I, I don't know. Are there a lot of younger rapists? I, you know, I can't give you like good answers on the age of people who are doing things like this. This is, this is actually sort of unusual for a number of reasons. One in that, you know, he's 19, 20, 21 years old doing this. Cause you know, this obviously took place a very long time ago. He falls into this rare time. I, I brought up the CSI thing because I think a lack of, punishment for people doing what he is doing means that they continue on. I do often wonder if they escalate. I don't know what we're going to find out more about this guy, but I wanted to say this. What do you think of like him being an attorney? Now, given he's more like on the corporate side of things professionally, but. Well, he had to have, um, I, I think that um, it is entirely possible that this 20 year old kid, um, committed only these attacks and then like he gained the confidence you know it's sick and it's it's really warped and weird and i don't understand it but it gave him confidence right yeah perhaps he had a crisis of conscience and decided like oh i don't want to hurt people yeah and I'm going to channel this confidence elsewhere. Now, that's like the ideal situation. Well, the ideal situation would be that he wouldn't have done it to begin yeah. with. Uh, something drives people, though. And especially depending on how each of the incidents, like, worked out, he might have not been very successful. Okay? And a lot of times, uh, I think that failing at committing a variety of different crimes uh, can cause them to stop uh i don't know if you've ever thought about that or not but you think okay so the idea being they're not any good at the crimes that they're committing so well he's got a variety of charges and like i don't know what order they went in but like if he was you know if he was success or if he completed what he was trying to do and then he couldn't again and then he was getting like more and more uh you know fight back or whatever, because every single time he went after an unsuspecting victim, he had no idea what the response was going to be, right? Yeah. And if, you know, it was a mix of responses and he was getting, like, more uh, deflated than feeling whatever it was he was chasing doing it to begin with, you know, because you could just as easily um, the whole that's like the principle of like why there's punishment. Right. Yeah. Is to deter um, criminals from committing crimes. And so, you know, punishment comes in a 
variety of ways. And while it's not like going to jail for it, you know, if he got punched in the face a couple of times or, you know, uh, I, I don't know what would do it for this particular individual, but just any sort of feeling of failure, right? That's going to make him like not so inclined. Now, sometimes failing is inspirational, right? And they, they use it to go even further. So they're not just like a sexual assault predator. They become a murderer, right? And so there's a variety of things that could have happened. I am pretty sure now. Okay. So missing people, we have a gigantic national database on that. Uh, Murdered people, there's not a actual database, but like you can get information about it. Sexual assaults are one of the most um, heinous and violent crimes that there's not a whole lot of information for just people trying to research it. Right. Yeah. Um, That's really, it's a really hard thing to kind of follow. And because, you know, you do want to protect, especially as sexual assault victims that survived, you want to protect their identity and their privacy. But you know, how many more victims does this guy have? Well, I would say that, you know, they really, I'm sure they are. They need to look very carefully at sort of how his life went. It seems like he's been in several different places. Now, his attorney said something to the effect of they were just piling on, uh, what, what, what? what He said that they were piling on, it's something you and I talk about all the time where are they just, throwing cold cases at it to throw cold cases at it. And they're like, this element seems to be like that. We can close this case. Right. And so, you know, you don't want to do that. Um, The sexual assault, because we've actually talked about quite a few uh, cases where that seems to have happened. Yes. And, you know, I would be looking for DNA evidence here to be satisfied with it because it's all too easy just to say, oh, well, you know, that sexual attack, sexual assault was the exact same. Well, I got news for you. They all have the same elements, right? Yeah, a lot of them do. Ultimately, you know, I don't want that to happen to this guy, even though he, you know, it appears he probably more than likely has committed uh, these sexual assaults and there's actual direct evidence linking him to him. I don't want him going down for a bunch of things he didn't do because then that person's just walking out there free, right? Whoever actually did it. So I don't know. What do do you think there's going to be a trail of victims from, you know, these cases that he's been charged with? So he's at 20 and then 15 years have gone by. 15, 16 years have gone by. Do you think that there has to be a trail in the wake of this? Oh, I don't know that there has to be a trail. I, so there are elements that there could be a trail. Um, generally speaking, you have to, you would have to look at like his relationships and like what was causing it. And there's a lot of digging you would have to do to figure out what was happening there. Do you think it's possible that uh, this is it? Yeah, this could be it. Like for a guy that's 20 years old, this could be it. I mean, so apparently he did... Wisconsin, New York, uh, like upstate New York, uh, New York City, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. There's some California in here. There's a couple of places as far as life and career after 18 and where he lived. So, yeah, you could look through there and potentially run across him while testing old DNA. I don't think it's the type of thing like these blitz attacks are going to be difficult to track if they didn't keep evidence 
and obviously impossible to track if they weren't reported. I don't, you know, this guy's saying he didn't do it. And like you said, his attorney is saying it's a pile on. I, you know, it doesn't feel like a pile on to me. I haven't seen anything that feels like they're just piling on him. And, you know, I, you know, I don't think anybody sets out to under, well, okay. I don't think anybody sets out to trap someone in a conspiracy. Um, I think it happens out of zealousness sometimes. It's kind of rare. And it's generally one respected person or partly respected person at the core of that conspiracy. Um, and I've tried to that happens a lot. Yeah, I've yeah. tried to point that out. But you know, conspiracies where you have to have the court and the cops and whatever else involved are like in this case, there would have to be some kind of weird genetic thing happening. I mean, I've I have heard, I have read I read all the crazy like DNA things now, which I've read about chimeras, which is where you can have a person who has other DNA in their body. I've read about uh, a set of twins that was separated at birth. One was committing crimes. The other wasn't. Um, they were like adopted. And um, that stuff is fascinating to me. But those are the very rare exceptions. That, well, what I was going to say was I have literally read in all the world stuff I can find exactly two cases of the twin instances. So there are 7 billion people on this planet. And I've read of two instances and only one, neither one was in the United States. So, Well, and so, you know, like I said, DNA is, it's pretty conclusive. Um, I'm not saying that nothing will ever happen to change my opinion about that, but I highly doubt it. And, you know, once we kind of got over the hump where there was some ethical issues in uh, the DNA labs early on and, uh, I think it was in the 2000s. I'm not really sure. Uh, but, you know, there were basically people signing off on matches that weren't, they weren't actually doing the work on. And so that was an issue for a very short amount of time. And that's all been cleared up now. And, you know, they, it seems to me like the DNA has a, uh, you know, they check and they check again right? yeah. on these big cases where there's somebody's freedom at stake. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm in the same boat you are there. I, it's hard for me to think that uh, DNA will – I'm sure at some point I could see something happening where I had questions about certain types of DNA testing. Um, that's one of the things that has happened is like it's advanced. We're able to test smaller and smaller amounts, which you talk about all the time when different things come up. Um, this is not, I don't think this is going to turn out to be that kind of case. I mean, he's actually got some aggravated rape in here, which means, you know, they have good samples on him in terms of testing. Um, and now they've been right. able to make this a isn't, comparison. This isn't just one case, right? That's the other thing. Yeah. When, it when it becomes eight different victims and... It's kind of like, well, I mean, how did he get, you know, how did all of that happen like that? It, it just doesn't work. And, you know, it basically, there is nothing to say except I'm screwed, which actually is, would be for this guy and um, for the Gilgo Beach murder, right? They, they both are screwed. Yeah. Woo. That guy's different, though. Like, that that's the other thing that, like... I don't know if people understand how different and how the same these type 
crimes are. I hate to put this guy, look, I am pretty sure that a serial rapist of this magnitude would be eligible for life in prison, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I, and I, I didn't look at Massachusetts statutes or anything. I just imagined, but at first I was like, oh, that could be like one sentence. But then I thought about it. I thought it could be one concurrent sentence. But when I thought about it, I was like, they could boxcar it and make it life in prison. But I'm pretty sure in a lot of places, uh, this type of criminal, even though the victims are living, is regarded in the same way that serial homicides are. They're predators who are taking advantage of vulnerable people. So the court um, recognizing that homicides, you know, could be eligible for the death penalty and life without parole. I'm pretty sure they don't treat this type of serial sexual assault that differently. I think it's taken very seriously, especially with such compelling evidence. Yeah. Well, that's all I got on this guy for now. We have one more episode coming up of some sort of mishmash cases like this. Did you have anything else on him? Uh, no, I'm interested to see what ends up happening. Uh, I, I, d- I, I, personally- I think he'll come back up. I don't think Long Island Serial Killer will come back up for a while because of how long. I think that stuff's going to take a while now. And honestly, I, I don't know that that's going to have the ending that we expect because that guy, he looks like he might... Um, he might not make it. You know, uh, the sheriff at the press conference, I can't remember which one. I think it's Suffolk County, but, you know, he's the one housing uh, the defendant, I guess, pretrial. And he was saying, he actually alluded to the fact that they were aware of, uh, you know, possibilities of him not being brought to justice and that they were taking precautionary steps to make sure that he, you know, was properly brought to justice. Did you notice that? Yeah, I I noticed that. And I wondered, like, there's a variety of things that could go around that suicide watch versus like inmates jumping in specifically looked at him. I thought he was going to have a heart attack. He may. And that's something they can't do anything about. Right. I think that I think he'll just maintain his innocence and he'll just be the victim. Just be the sad sack, yeah, yeah. Not the case. I mean, that's. I mean, he is a sad sack, right? And it's you know depicted in the crime in the heinous, awful crimes that he committed. He's a terrifying person, but he's also a sad sack. And um, this guy, uh, Matthew Nilo, yeah, he's the Boston uh, serial rape or serial sexual assaulter, I guess. Um, he, you know, he would be well served to plead guilty and throw himself on the mercy of the court. Um, but, you know, I doubt very seriously that will happen. And, you know, just like everybody else accused of anything, he deserves a defense and to be defended uh, in a manner that our constitution requires. So there's no, uh, so reasonable doubt is overcome if there is any that's presented. Right. Yeah. I don't, it would take, it would take a long journey for me to think anything like there, there would have to be something really anomalous going on on this case for me to go. Oh, that guy's I can't, I, I can't think of a single, um, situation where that gets, that where that happens. I can't, I just, I'm not saying that there's not one. I'm just saying like in the make-believe scenarios I've thought of, I can't think of anything that would be like, oh, well, wait, they were wrong, right? 
Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Snatched you from your mom and them. I'm fond of them. Wide hip, thin waist, face good. Open up them legs and lick them pages. That's my Facebook. I like the way she looks at me. I'm liking the time we spend. She my best friend till she get that D. Hold on, let me sing. Oh, she dropped it gorgeous. If you tryna step up to that bitch, be cautious. Rapping in the mirror, putting makeup on. Now you got an anthem, baby. This your song. Tell him. She dropped dead gorgeous. Oh, she dropped dead gorgeous. Yeah, she dropped dead gorgeous. Rapping in the mirror, putting makeup on. Got your lips popping and your click popping and your shits popping. Baby, show stopping. Yeah. Just got that fashion over package and I like it, but I snatch it off and throw you on the mattress. Now that's messed up, cause we messed up the whole room, but you know how I do. Man, what you expect from the way that you give me that back like I owe you? Goddamn, baby, I owe you. Come here, mama, I hold you. Man, off that plan, I get off that gram, cause I only wanna follow you. Got me on the moon like Apollo 2. Good smoke, got Apollo 2. See, my Mona Lisa fly, got a piece of the pie, Malibu, no boo. No, it ain't no bull. They like she fire. I be like, no shit. Homegirl trying to keep us apart. They just mad they ain't getting no dick. <laughs> oh, she dropped dead gorgeous. If you trying to step up to that bitch, be cautious. Rapping in the mirror, putting makeup on. Now you got an anthem, baby. This your song. Tell him. Yeah, she dropped dead gorgeous. Oh, she dropped dead gorgeous. She dropped dead gorgeous Rapping in the mirror, putting makeup on She bad, she know, she nasty on the low, yeah She looking in the mirror while she dropping on the floor, yeah She bust it wide open when a nigga make it home, yeah Queen, you a queen, shawty, you deserve the throne, yeah She bad, she know, she nasty on the low She looking in the mirror while she dropping on the floor She bust it wide open when a nigga make it home she dropped it gorgeous